do with the realm of the spirit. And so we're, we're talking about this with respect to our own lives, but also with the idea that we're doing this whole study so that every person here can say, you know what, as an, a believer in Jesus Christ, I have authority and not only authority, I have been called to pray for the sick. It's part of my Christian life. That's part of who I am. And so uh, every day and I, as we walk through life, whether it's coworkers, family members, uh, classmates or, or whoever, uh, you're going to run across people who are sick in body, people who are desperate. Uh, and you're as a Christian can say, hey, I'm a Christian. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 16 that the, those who are followers of Jesus will lay hands on the sick. Will you permit me to pray for you? And that's why we're doing this, so that we would say, okay, we can do this. Pastor Mitchell has been such a blessing uh, in, in uh, providing such a model and example of praying for people. And one of the things that we, we said at the very beginning of the Sunday school is that uh, we don't believe in, you know, the, the guy with the gift of healing. Now, I understand that the Bible talks about gifts of healings. And that there is people who are genuinely uh, anointed and, and pray for particular needs in certain situations. I make room for that. But the idea that, you know, we have this gift and that makes us special, unique, or in demand. Uh, and, uh, and then we, uh, you, know, you know, act like we have to get God's man of faith and power until he gets here. Nobody can get here. We don't believe that. We believe that as a believer in Jesus Christ, that we can do that. And so what we're doing is we're understanding, though, that when we're praying for the sick, we're praying with understanding. And, uh, you know, I've shared that in the early years, uh, not just me, but our fellowship, there was a very limited understanding. We Bible said to do it. We did it and God touched people. But when we began to consider all the scriptures that we've been looking at about spirit and sin, then you begin to minister to people with more information, more insight, and it's amazing. How many people here, maybe it's you experienced it, or perhaps you were in a church service and you've seen somebody and, and something as simple as, uh, are you really upset at somebody? Are you willing to forgive them and have somebody, you know, at first, you know, no, I love everybody, and then, you know, just like the man with the uh, son who threw himself in the fire, he goes from I believe to help my unbelief. And you know what? Yes. And I need to forgive. Uh, and uh, very often, by the way, I would say in the, all the years that I prayed for many, many, many people, I would say if I were to chart it, which I don't, I would say I forgive my father would be the number one thing. And, uh, and when they do that, sometimes these people, once they go there, they allow themselves to go there. It's like they had this little dungeon down in their heart and they had locked away, let's say, their father for all these years. And they finally go there. A lot of times they do get emotional because they're addressing something that's been there for a long time. And the most amazing thing is a simple prayer of forgiveness and they're instantly healed. Demonstrably healed right there on the spot. They're touched. They're doing, and say, what is that? Well, that's, it means that there's more happening than pure physiology. There's something happening in their spirit, and that has an effect on them. And so when you just pray with that simple understanding, that you, be, you, you, you just see that that unlocks something, and you realize, okay, there's something more happening here. So, uh, uh, Gilbert, go ahead and read our, our text this morning. 
And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. <clears throat> Excuse me. And behold, there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands upon her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. And the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the multitude in response, There are six days in which work should be done. Therefore, come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrite, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated, and the entire multitude was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. So this woman is our example because she had a spirit of infirmity. So we, we said that, we pointed that out. She had a spirit of infirmity. The Bible says she was a daughter of Abraham. That means that she was inside the covenant. She had a covenantal uh, a right to be healed. You know, that, uh, that, that, you know, should not this woman have been? In other words, Jesus is making a case, hey, this woman, part of the, uh, the uh, benefits package of the covenant that she's a part of uh, makes room for this and allows for this. Uh, anybody here ever gone to work for a, for a company, uh, especially a larger company, and they'll be, as you're in your orientation and they give you your benefits package and they tell you all these things? Well, the benefit package of the covenant we're a part of, it, there's a chapter on healing. Amen. Let that bounce around the room for a minute. There's a chapter on healing. And Jesus says, this woman's a daughter of Abraham. What, what's the deal here? This, this, it, it, this doesn't have to be. Now, he's saying this, and he's rebuking, of course, the religious community, which knew this woman, was familiar with her, and just simply never even considered praying for her or, or that there's something spiritual going on here at all. And, uh, and then he uses the very vivid imagery of, of the untying of the animal, and, and he's basically saying, you could have untied this woman. This woman could have been untied. And so all of this highlights this reality that there's a spiritual dimension when it comes to healing and sickness. And whether we're addressing that in our own lives and we're asking ourselves, hmm, is there something going on in me? Is there something I need to examine? And when I'm, uh, I come across someone who is sick or infirmed, uh, is there a spiritual root to this that maybe we should talk about to get a little more understanding uh, when we pray for them? So uh, let's uh, get some scriptures here. Uh, we're going to revisit John 5, 14, uh, Robert, uh, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, Paul, Jimenez, uh, James 5, 20, uh, Kim, Let's move it over here. Everybody's on this one section. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, Ray Fallon. And Tracy, you get James 5, 13 through 16. So we're going to talk this morning about um, uh, uh, this issue again. And we're going to go a little bit further into it. And we are, our subject this morning is the spirit and sickness. And the idea that 
when people's spirits are troubled, there is a spirit there, there that has an effect on them. And so we want to examine that. John 5, 14, we looked at this verse last week. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. So here's you. a man who was powerfully healed, and Jesus' statement to him, Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. And so the Bible doesn't tell us anything about this man's sin. It doesn't give us a lot of insight there. But he does lay out a principle that there's, there's a link here between the realm of morality and the, and the realm of spirit and this man walking in his healing. Now, I can tell you uh, over the years of ministering to people that I've seen people that have, uh, we talked about this, I don't know if it was last week, that you can find direct links between sin and sickness. I think we mentioned smoking cigarettes, promiscuity, uh, that there's, there is people who are sick because they shoot up with dirty needles. We, we know that. And so that's an obvious statement. If somebody, you know, over the years, you know, I've had people come to me that uh, uh, found out that they had a uh, disease associated with a sickness. And, uh, and I use this verse all the time with them. Now, God's touched you, healed you, but sin no more. You can't just go and do what you were doing and living a lifestyle that you'll live, lest the worst thing come upon you. So we understand that. But the Bible doesn't say this guy was shooting heroin, you know. It doesn't tell us that he was sleeping around. We don't, we don't know. But Jesus says, hey, there is a sin association here. And so this is worth considering. Now, um, Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. I want to talk to you about this verse this morning. And again, the best part of Sunday school is your contribution. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord your God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So this is uh, where uh, uh, Moses and God have a very intimate moment. This is after Moses, uh, when God had said to Moses, he was so ticked off after the golden calf, he said, uh, I'm going to uh, kill everybody and start, give you a start over again. Remember that? This is the uh, Bill Cosby before he was disgraced is to say to his son, uh, I'll, uh, how do he put it? I'll kill you, make another one just like you, and no one will ever know. And uh, um, he was like, I'll start over again. And Moses intercedes desperately on behalf of the people, and that moves the heart of God. It's a prophetic picture of the Lord Jesus who is going to intercede for us who are sinners. And, and, and this, in this very powerful, intimate moment, Moses says to God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. I mean, you're talking about a very intense moment. And the Bible says that he's not allowed to see his entire glory. But what he does see, the Bible says that as the glory of God passes by. And it's, if you think of, of what is the glory of God, it's found in, the, in these verses right here. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. How many here are happy that God is merciful and gracious? That he's long-suffering? Anybody here say, Pastor Ruby, God has been long-suffering to me? All right, all right, just in case, you, you know. 
abounding in goodness and truth and keeping mercy for thousands. This is his glory. I want to tell you when, when somebody gets saved or somebody gets their heart right with God, when a sinner repents and when a, when a Christian who's acting like a sinner repents, that's the glory of God. That is the glory of God. The glory of God is uh, where a, 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 a person who's not a Christian can walk into a church service and get moved by God, come forward and bow their knee. And it doesn't matter how foul they've been. It doesn't matter what they've done. They cry out to God and God touches them. That's the glory of God. Okay, it's not a, a, a cool Christian light show during the song service. It's not smoke and mirrors. The glory of God is mercy. God's mercy. That is why when somebody stands up and gives a heartfelt salvation testimony, it, there's always something powerful there. That's why I would, you know, Sunday school got a lot of uh, liberty. Let me just say this morning, if you're going to give your testimony, we think uh, everybody's heard it. Well, the one person who hasn't heard it is who you're talking to. And when you give a testimony of what God did, how we say the glory of God always comes in those services or in those testimonies. Why? Because his glory is his mercy. That's what it is. It's not, oh, I felt the Lord and a light shone and, and feathers were everywhere. You know, it, it, that's not the glory of God. The glory of God is when he expresses mercy. The second part of that, though, is that's not just everything about who his glory is. The Bible says he forgives iniquity and transgression and sin by no means clearing the guilty. So the glory of God isn't just mercy. It's also holiness. It's righteousness. He visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. That. It, the glory of God is not just God's mercy. The glory of God is that he is absolutely holy and to be feared, to be reverenced, and that he's not messing around, that he's not somebody that we trifle with, that we play games with, that we just kind of dismiss and, and oh, God loves us, and he's like the... the uh, uh, I, you know, I don't know, you, we used to say this, I don't know if you can say this anymore, but the senile grandparent at the uh, picnic in the park who kind of sits there and doesn't, just has a smile on their face and, and everybody, hola, tata, soy Ricardo, huh? and, uh, and, and just kind of happy-go-lucky. That's the way people see God. He's just happy-go-lucky and just happy and it doesn't matter that his granddaughter is pregnant without being married, you know, and, uh, and you know, they're, they're just happy. That's not who God is. He is to be feared. And that is part of his glory. And when we act like God isn't holy anymore and that he isn't uh, uh, disturbed by sin, then we, we diminish his glory. Anyway, I could go way off on that. That's a whole new Sunday school. But here, again, is this issue, though, of spirit and spiritual issues working in the human personality because he says that he will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, the grandchildren, to the third and fourth generation. And so we begin to talk about 
spirit and curses and issues of inheritance. That in other words, people sometimes are wrestling with things. And I, I said sometimes, I would say most times are wrestling with things in their life that were there before them. And so many people don't consider this. I remember uh, back in the 90s, I was preaching a, a, a youth rally somewhere and I was praying about what to preach there. And God really spoke to me that I was preaching to a generation of kids, primarily who had grown up in the church and their parents were the first generation uh, in our fellowship. These were hippies, these were radical uh, converts, and uh, they had started producing children. Now their children were in their teen years. And uh, God really dealt with me that as I was praying that many of these kids had, been, had grown up in, in, in two-parent homes, in church all their life. They had been educated uh, with Christian uh, uh, truth and all that. And as they were m moving into their teen years, they were battling with what's wrong with me? Why do I think the thoughts I think? I haven't gone out there. I haven't. I've, I've kept myself. I've, I've kept away. My parents have been very good at shielding me from a lot of things. If you're a teenager here, you ought to thank God in heaven for parents who shield you. You think, you know, because you went over to the neighbor's house and, and watched a movie, you're just totally defiled. You have no idea what your parents have shielded you from. But these kids are wrestling with, why am I battling these desires and these thoughts? And God really dealt with me about this verse of scripture right here. That, that there is a generational curse, the iniquity that moves through and it moves through generations and that these kids don't have to go there, but they're going to have to address this and judge this and understand, you know, I don't have to be this way, but I have to appropriate the promise and the covenant in my life. That you're not a freak. Because that's what they think. They, I'm a freak. I'm sitting in this church, Pastor Ruby, and all these people are here and they think that I'm this nice church kid and they have no idea because, they're, because they don't understand that they're wrestling with generational curses. The answer is not to backslide, leave the church and, and then tell everybody you're being true to yourself. You're not being true to yourself, you're surrendering to a demon. The cross is available for you, but like everybody else, you have to personally go there and appropriate it. And God can help you. And it's found in these words right here. The word iniquity in the Bible, you know what it means? It means kink, wicked, the word perverted. We tend to associate it primarily sexually, but it, a perversion just means it's... And the idea here is that a generation can cross spiritual boundaries and uh, become kinked and a spirit takes a hold of them. And then generationally, that has now been introduced into the family line. Many years ago, uh, there was a, a family that attended here. And uh, I remember one day the, the grandfather the son and the grandson came to me and said, Pastor, look, and they showed me their pinky and all of them, their pinky went and then it turned left. 
three generations. Some of you remember them. And, and, and it's is exactly what the word means. It means to have a, a kink. And God says here that there is another issue here and that part of the judgment of sin is that you can pass that on generationally and people can be affected. Let's uh, define these uh, words here. Put that up, Tony. A transgression. So he talks about uh, uh, the, the, the Bible word for sin is used in the Old Testament. It, it's the word transgression. That means to trespass. Imagine this morning if you're uh, walking by our building and you see that fence and inside of it is all the materials for our new building. And uh, you say, I want to, uh, you know, climb the fence and go there. And so you, you get on your dress and you climb over the fence right there. Uh, that's the word trespass. That's what it means. Sin is a trespass. Sin means the idea that there are boundaries in life and you're not supposed to cross the fence. That's called trespassing. That's the word. That's just what it means. It means I trespassed. I, I crossed the line. The second word is the word uh, 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 sin. And it, the idea there is what we do or what we become. It's what we do when you cross the line, you climb the fence, you go to the side. What you are now is in sin. It is what you're doing. This is what you've become. See, people don't realize, they think, you know, that I, I can sin, but I'm not, you know, you ever heard that? I'm not that person. I remember years ago, uh, uh, the story, some woman, I forgot what she did. I, I think, I don't know, I think she ran somebody over in a fit of anger. And she's like, that's not who I am. That's absolutely who you are. And so we'll say, oh, that's not who I am. Well, see, when you cross the line, that's what you become. Sin changes you. We, we know the uh, story of the... Uh, prodigal son who, who crosses the line. And the next thing you know, the guy's in a pigsty. It's what we become. And then the third word is the word iniquity, which means twisting or kink. And what that is, it's the legacy of what happens to us once we come back over the fence that we have to now deal with the depravity or the twisting that came when we were on the other side of the fence. And you have to deal with it. Now, everybody here, nobody here has ever really sinned. But there are people who they come back over and they come back and they're honestly they say, you know what? When I got saved, I had to get delivered. I had to get delivered because when I was on the other side of the fence, I got involved in things. And I'm back, but I have to deal with my nature that now has that kink in that twist and say, no, I'm not going to be that way. I'm not, no, I'm not going to fight at the drop of a hat. I'm not going to, you know, uh, uh, indulge lust. I am not going to be uh, immediately respond with a lie to every time somebody asks me a question. I mean, I, and I realize that I've got to deal with this. I need to be delivered. And then the idea here is that this moves on generationally. I don't have to tell you that children of alcoholics are more likely to become alcoholics. People that have been abused are much likelier to abuse other people. We can go through this and, 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 and you know, we know they've done all kinds of surveys and they're saying, well, what is this 
is it nature versus nurture? Have you heard that? You know, nurture being how you were nurtured, that's why you are the way you are. And, and absolutely, I, I can see that being part of the equation, but it's not always the equation. I, I've shared the story with you about uh, Lewis Oliver. Lewis Oliver is a pastor in our fellowship in Reno, Nevada. Lewis uh, was a professional poker player in Las Vegas, Nevada. He was actually quite good at it, made lots of money. And uh, what happened is his wife got saved at our fellowship church there uh, in the early days of that church, dragged Lewis along, and, uh, and uh, lo and behold, this full-time poker player got radically saved. And God began to help him, got discipled, became a pastor. Then uh, one day he's talking with his brother, and his brother says, We've, I found our dad. Didn't, uh, they never knew it. Lewis's mother was pregnant with him when the dad had left, never knew his father, knew nothing about his father. Now, some almost 50 years later, he finds out that uh, they could see him. So Lewis finds out he lives in Phoenix, Arizona. He gets in his car, drives to Phoenix, goes, knocks on the door to meet his father for the first time in 50 years or so. This man opens the door and he says, it's like looking in the mirror, except his father had all white hair. And he's meeting him for the first time, doesn't know a thing about him, wants to just meet his father. He sits down, they start talking, and he asks his father, so what did you do? What kind of work did you do? And he said, I was a professional gambler. Now, I don't know a whole lot of professional gamblers. But here is this compulsion that drove Lewis. And then he meets his father 50 years later and finds out that there was a visitation, a generational curse that just moved one after the other. I, I can tell you story after story. I, I know somebody who uh, uh, came to me one time. They said to me, hey, pastor, I got to tell you a story. And so I knew in their life when they were, when they were a, young, with a young woman, I think in college, had become pregnant and uh, the father was nowhere to be seen and made a decision to put that child up for adoption and uh, did that, ended up getting saved years later and actually uh, were able to reconnect with that child. But they told me, they said they had gone home for a Christmas holiday and while they were there, they found out that their, grand, their great grandmother, so you're thinking, you know, we're talking about early 1900s, her great grandmother had become pregnant as a young woman and her grandfather was left at a uh, fire station. Never knew it, family secret, had no idea that three generations earlier, her great-grandmother was in the exact same position she was. Visiting iniquity, things, these things happen. And so a lot of times when people don't, when they're wrestling with spirits, they don't understand, they don't see that. They don't, they don't get that side of it. And so a lot of times it's not necessarily, well, you sinned. What did you do? Okay, Pastor, I got a headache. What did you do? Well, you're going to give them a double headache if you talk to people like that. But it's something to understand. What we're saying is there's more happening here. And there are generational curses. This is why when you ask people about in, uh, uh, diseases that are inherited, that are, that are there generationally, you say, okay, wait a minute, let's, 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 let's look into this. Let's pray against family curses and see what's uh, going on here. Uh, anybody want to just uh, hear, like, all kinds of hands here. I see Leah, I see Ray. 
and Robert. Pastor, when you said that about um, being a church kid and going through things, it reminded me that um, as I was old, like there was issues I had when I was a kid, like teenagers, and it wasn't um, like, you know, bad thoughts, but like emotional stuff. And as I got older, I started like trying to really deal with some things in the last like 10 years. And I would think to myself, like, why, you know, I grew up in a two parent home. I'm what you just said about a church kid. And then I um, started thinking back like recently in recent years. And I went, well, you know, maybe this isn't that I was rejected by my parents because that's what a lot of it was. But my mother went through a lot of stuff because when she got saved, she was promiscuous. She would tell me I was looking for love everywhere else. Her father had committed suicide when she was five. Um, her, um, and that was a, that's a whole other thing that it was like generational. And you just triggered like a thought because I had to start thinking, um, maybe that's visiting onto me and through the years, that's what I was fighting. And I don't even know that my parents would have known to say, well, that's why this, we just always prayed against it and it was fine. But I started thinking, and I'm going to have to make the decision to not feel that way and say, I don't accept yes. that. Yes. I can't live under what might have been something, or my dad, because they both, since my mom's passed away, I've gotten to know my dad a lot more. And I see things, and that's actually what's triggered, like, wow, I may be struggling with things that he experienced because his father walked out on him when he was 16. And there's rejection on both my parents that it just suddenly opened up to me like, you can't live under what they went through and that might be a generational curse yes. you need to break and not accept. Yes, and um, it's just, it, um, for you to say that, I was like, wow, that's exactly something I've had oh, to yeah. really work through because you're like, where does that come from? Yeah, I have no reason to live that way with the life I've had. And, yeah. So. Very good. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think this is a real issue. And I try to bring that up at boot camp with, with them because so many kids are just like, you know, and the devil's lives, they trap them into this isolation that it's, something's wrong with you. You're, you're, you're messed up you sh and, and people don't know. And it's like, no, this is, this is a strategy. And it, it, for us as believers, it's meant to bring us to the cross. You know, uh, when I was 12, my, my, uh, 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 my father's father, my grandfather, had died at 46 from cirrhosis of the liver, just an alcoholic. And, uh, but you know, when you're 12 years old, you don't know that. You don't appreciate it, even if I did know that. Uh, but, but you think the problem is that young people, they think they're discovering sin. You know what I mean? There are people here who think that their parents know nothing about marijuana. Ha! <laughs> and... Uh, the, and, and they always act like, you know, they're smarter. Have you ever seen these teenagers who think they're smarter than you? You know what I mean? And they're clever. And, and they have no idea what you are like, and, uh, which is probably a good thing. And, uh, but this idea, and what it is, they're walking in a compulsion. They're compelled. They're moving in this, and they don't even understand, sneaking around with their boyfriend or their girlfriend or dabbling in drugs. And, and, they, ha and they have no idea that this is so much bigger than them. That's why one of the rule number one, a curse is bigger than you. Okay, and just in case there are teenagers here who are right now in a secret romance that your parents know nothing about, okay, 
If you're communicating on social media with somebody and, and I'm, I'm, listen, let me say it to you again. Curses are bigger than you. Okay, visiting the iniquity, that twisting is there. It, 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 the, that is broken at the cross. Any one of us, I got saved and got totally delivered I'm from, you know, 12 years old. I almost died from alcohol poisoning and, and, and uh, uh, had no appreciation for the inherited curses that I was that were in my family. That is what God, you know, but at some point you appropriate the cross and say, I'm free. So, so anyway, we got a lot to cover here. Uh, you guys are terrible this way. Wait a minute. I, I didn't even get to the next one. Who was next? Ray. I'm oh, sorry, Ray. It's okay. Uh, the, there's one sermon that you mentioned that has stuck with me, um, especially when, when, we talk, when you just talked about how, you know, that other person is worse than you. Uh, you know, go. Uh, you said that people say, you know, I, I'm, I'm not that bad, but I'm not Barabbas. Yeah. And that's always stuck with me because it's like, you know, Barabbas is a picture of everybody, no matter how good you think you are. Yeah. So anyway, I wanted to say that. But this, the, the, the second thing also, too, is, um, I don't know how to say this. What is the ratio of people? Because I know that when you backslide, it's very hard to come back. Because just as hard as you fought the Spirit of God to backslide, now you've got to fight harder because those demons, you know, don't want to let you go. You know, yeah. Matthew, I think it's Matthew chapter... 1243 or 144 in Matthew it talks about how you know these demons come back because they're they, they want to go back to their familiar house yeah um, Matthew chapter 12 um, and they bring back to them you know seven more demons and it's like you know what you just kick-started again your curse but not just that but even worse and so what is, what is in, in, in your preaching uh, over the years, is it really that hard as a backslider? I know backsliders can get saved, but is it really that hard for backsliders to come back? It's like how many backsliders do really come back because of that yeah. going back and then all of a sudden you just, you just you know, flip that switch again, but even, even much, more, much worse. Great questions. Uh, I'm going to answer it two ways. Number one is that, um, uh, you know, the advice that we always give somebody who asks when they come back is that you've got to make up your mind that you're going to serve God independent of any feeling or emotion. Because that's the thing is that people usually come back and they want that, that first conversion experience. They want to do that. And when they come back, they might feel that for a day, but eventually, like you said, they've, they've added things to their personality. And, and so a lot of times they don't feel God, they don't feel love and all that stuff. And you tell me you better. And the Bible says, um, the apostle Paul said this, you know, when he talked about backsliders and people who get a funky spirit in church, rarely happens. But uh, the, the Bible says that you servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle in other words, don't get it, strap it on with people. You know that you know, someone's not coming to church and you know, I'm going to tell them off. You know, don't, don't. The Bible says the servant of the Lord doesn't strive. And the reason why, he says, because peradventure or perhaps God will grant them repentance. And to me, that's a very important verse because it tells us that repentance isn't just of our choosing. 
there has to, God has to visit the person because what people say, you know what, I'm going to sin over the weekend, but I'll come Wednesday night and I'll get my heart right. Or they anticipate their repentance. They, that's how people think. Come on now, help me out here. That is how people think. I'm going to do this and then I'll get my heart right. Years ago, I had a man who told me he was going to divorce his wife without cause and he made it clear to me, I'm going to divorce her and pass Ruby in a couple years. I'll get remarried and then I'm going to come back to church before he even divorced her. I mean, he anticipated repentance. God doesn't let us do that. The Bible says peradventure, perhaps God will give you repentance. And that's why you'll see sometimes people backslide, come back, answer an altar call, you know, you know, that's your kids and look at you, you've grown and, and they'll, they'll do all that. And then you'll never see them again because it, it, repentance belongs to God. He has to deal with you. And so that's the number one issue. And so I think that's why you see so many people come because intellectually they know I better get my heart right. I want to go to hell, but there's never that change on the inside. Um, and, and so uh, uh, that's, uh, uh, you know, a major part of it. The second part of it here, and all of a sudden my mind goes blank for a second. Uh, when, when we talk about um, this issue of uh, adding spirits to yourself, it's absolutely true. It's that when people backslide and they come back, yeah, they're bringing a lot more baggage that into their life. And I think they understand they've done, they've done uh, spiritual damage to themselves. And they have to understand that and see that and, and really, really want deliverance. I have seen some radical conversions of people who really served God, who really went all out in the other direction and come back and, and God really healed them. But I, I will be honest with you, I see very few of them. They really do. And I think the ones that I've seen that have made it have recognized and there's a tremendous humility in their part and say, okay, I've, I've done this. I'm not trying to retain anything. I'm, I'm coming and I'm broken and, and God helps them and restores them. But uh, there has to be a real acknowledgement. I was messed up. Okay. Uh, when somebody gets, uh, leaves church, backslides, comes back and two weeks later, they're standing in line to tell me and complain about somebody in church. I, I, I feel, I, I fear for them. So that's not, they're not long for the kingdom of God. A real humility says, make me as one of your hired servants. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Okay. Yeah. The father says, no, you're my son. But the right mindset of a backslider is, hey, I'm not worthy. I'm not, well, I have a backslid because these people dissed me or I was disciplined and it was unfair. You know, that's not, that's not what's going to make someone recover. Uh, Robert? Um, recently, when my cousin got in the accident, we're at the hospital. Um, all of our family members are together and we're having this conversation about really next steps, what we're going to do in the future. And my aunt, uh, in the midst of that, started to freak out. She really broke down and she's bringing up Mike's father and how he passed away. And there was a, an accident involved and car accident and everything. And he, he passed away in the hospital. And she's bringing this up and she keeps saying it's, it's all over again. It's happening all over again. And I had to stop her and tell her, no, don't say that. And, I, and with, this is a circle of family. You know, it's just, just family members there. And I started to tell her, you know, that's a generational curse, what you're speaking. And we can't embrace that. We have to choose to say, no, it's not going to happen. And when I said that, I, I immediately remembered 
being 16, 17, getting saved. And these are the same family members I was making stands against then saying, hey, I'm gonna live for God, I'm not gonna party anymore. And here we are in, in the hospital and feeling a different atmosphere as to where back then it was like this, you know, break away, I'm, I'm gonna start living this way. As to where now it's, it feels like the, the atmosphere is completely shifted where they didn't want anything to do with us when we got saved. And now they're calling me and my dad like, what do we do next? And they're asking for help and for guidance. And it's, it's in this horrible circumstance, the way things happened, you can see an open door for revival. Yes. You can see an open door for things can change. Yes. And so I'm, I'm still praying. It's still, it's still a struggle with what we're going through, but it definitely feeling the, the atmosphere change. You know, I, I will say this. Let me give you all a word of encouragement. Uh, we all know we're flawed people here. Okay. And yet, and here you are, you're, you're married, you're raising your family, you know, uh, your kids, uh, you know, people are looking at your kids and, and uh, they're doing well and all that stuff. And they may even, if your kids are still in school or something and they're like, oh, you know, your daughter is so smart and, you know, they're so well behaved and you're sitting there and in your mind, you're thinking, you have no idea who their parents were or, or their grandparents were. And there's, you know, every once in a while, I know that you're vexed because they got an A minus and, and that's it. And, uh, uh, but but you, it's every once in a while, it's good to realize, you know what? The trajectory has changed. Now they're serving God. Okay, Ray, I remember now what I was going to say, you know. Uh, but let me just throw this out here and then we'll hear a testimony. Richard, the testimony you gave the other day, you told me, okay, I'll have you testify about that. But... But, I, but, but Ray, what Ray said, I said, okay, there's something. That's scary. Sometimes you forget things. But, but I, I, this is my opinion. This is my own opinion. This isn't a doctrine, but this is my own observation. And that is that I believe that curses and blessing and curses are like parallel railroad tracks. So before we were saved, we were on a railroad. I, I preached years ago a sermon on family curses, and I talked about how Raquel went with me once to London, and, and uh, we... Uh, had to get on a, 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 a train to, to the airport, the London Gatwick Airport. They had an express train, very nice, clean, bright train. We came in on it. I, I, we went into London, and for a little bit, she was, she was probably maybe uh, you know, nine or ten at the time. And uh, we got back at night, and we was getting close to the last um, uh, 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 train to head back to the airport where we we're going to spend the night so we could fly out the next morning. And I remember I got onto the, you know, the London, these huge train stations. There's like 25 tracks and I couldn't find ours. And I'm looking and looking and I asked somebody, where's the train to Gatwick airport? And this guy said something back to me. I have no idea what he said. He was one of those cockney, you know, and, and I pretended like I said, oh, okay. But uh, I, we came and he thought he pointed. And I remember we were getting on track and Raquel told me, she told me, she said, dad, this isn't the train. It's like Raquel. And uh, we, we got on this uh, train and it was, I remember we opened the door and it smelled like sweat. Just that British sweat there, you know, and uh, everybody had their head down. It was dark. It was cramped. And, and we're sitting there, and Raquel kept saying, Dad, this isn't our train. And, 
like, come on, fourth grader. And, uh, you, you know, and, and we're sitting there, and it's about to take off. But in the back of my head, I guess I just, so finally I asked somebody, is this train going to Gatwick Airport? And they said, no, this is off to some shire somewhere. And so I remember grabbing Raquel, and we jumped off the track. And when we came down, just over the other way was this bright, shiny train. And it said London Gatwick on the side. And so I didn't look at her, but uh, I, I, we went over there, and it was clean, it was empty, it was an express, and, we, and we, we got there. And I remember just thinking about how in life, we, most of us, if we're honest, the track we were on was headed straight to destruction. It was like that old, smelly train. But there was a choice to say, I don't have to be on that track. Getting saved and delivered means I can change tracks. I can get off of this and I can go in a different direction. And there's another track. Now, the reason why I say they're parallel is because I've made this observation. I have seen people radically converted. I have seen their lives changed. They're not walking in the curses of drug addiction and crime and, and all the other things that are associated with sin only to see their children grow up and decide not to serve God and begin living the curses again. It's like they step from one track back to the other track. And I realize that the option never changes. We think, oh, well, you know, that was years ago. But the truth is we're talking about present spirits. And as Ray said, in Matthew 12, Luke 11, the same verse where it says that once they leave, there are seven other spirits. There are these curses that were held at bay. But when human choice is involved, you step back in. And I've seen people just like, you know, be raised, no drugs, nothing. And next thing you know, once they decide to serve God, it's like they jumped the track. And now they're moving in that same curse and it's perpetuating again. That's the human race. That's why the world's so messed up. Okay, uh, I see hands. We're going to pick this up next week on that. But uh, Richard, you got four minutes, Richard, and you give right. a testimony. You can turn around, stand up, let everybody okay. see your... Okay. Four minutes. Um, well, my wife works at a work uh, call center. She's a manager at a call center. And she has a friend. Her name is Dina. Well, she no longer works there. But the testimony is that this woman had an issue of blood, literally an issue of blood that, that uh, the, you know the woman deal, uh, for eight years, every day, constantly on that issue. And, but just real quick, I'm going to use it real quick. Uh, what's that? Endometriosis. Okay. Whatever that means, uh, it's a sickness or what a disease. I don't know what it is, but that's what they diagnosed her with. And she, she's for eight years. And my wife would always see her at, at, at her job, always just, you know, grouchy, upset, crying, uh, the whole sensitivity part, I don't know. But she had issues, right? That's all I know. And, and Adrian t told her, said, you know what? Let my husband pray for you. And so long story short, uh, we went over to her house, to her apartment, after church service, and just said, you know what? You know, so we sat down just talking to her, just ministering to her, and I told her, that, uh, you know, just hearing her story, I said, man, and I'm feeling for her. And I said, thank God for one that I'm a, I'm a man, you know, and, and, and 
wow, I, I don't know what you're going through, but I can just believe that it's bad. And through that, those years in the beginning, uh, she had to do, she almost died, but she had to go through a uh, blood transfusion. Uh, uh, she she, she uh, just, just, I mean, loss of blood. And so I, I sit down and I felt in my spirit being in there. I said, you know what? Is there, do you know of anybody doing a witchcraft? I, I really believe that you're being cursed. You're, you're, someone is speaking against you. Someone has you in this state. And, and, she go, and she just starts to cry. And she goes, my grandmother and my sister are heavily involved in witchcraft. And I said, wow. I said, I said well, you know what? In the famous question, every evangelist or every pastor asks her, do you believe that Jesus Christ can heal you right now? And, and she's crying. And she goes, you know what? I, yes, I do believe. And I said, you know what? This is personal. God doesn't want to see you in this state anymore. As much as you are tired, God is tired seeing you the way you are. God can hear you. God is God, you know. He created the heavens and the earth. God is tired of you being there, but he just wants you to cry out. Be personal. Be desperate. Are you desperate? And, and she's just crying and saying yes, crying and crying. So we believe. We, we, she gets up. I say, you know what? Get up. I said, we're, we're going to cast this demon and we're going to believe God is the healer. God is Jehovah Nisi. He's going to move right now. So we pray for her. Adrian starts speaking in tongues and you feel the presence of God. And I back off again and I let God be God. It's not me. God is God. Sure enough, she feels good. She feels a weight. A couple of weeks and I always tell Adrian, Hey, hey, so what's going on? What's going on? And back to normal. For eight years, she's been that way. She's been healed. She's a normal woman. Hallelujah. She's normal. Man. Hallelujah. Let's stand. We're going to pray a prayer. And today, given the topic, I want to pray against family curses. And uh, let's believe God. And I want to just say, especially to young people here, Young people, especially you might have grown up in the house of God and you're battling things right now. And you're like, why and how come and what have I done? Uh, it, listen, the issue this morning is what Jesus Christ has done for us. And he breaks every curse. I want you to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over inherited curses in my life. Today, I plead the blood of Jesus that breaks every curse. I believe that the blood of Jesus speaks better things than the blood of Abel. I am free from the curse in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your hand of deliverance and freedom. Victory. We stand in the hope of Calvary's cross and deliverance. We give you praise in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. The Lord bless you. We'll pick up in a few minutes.